everyone. Thank you for joining us for this edition, Thought in Action. We're doing some market musings with Scott Poor, Chief Investment Officer for the Udemonia Group. So thank you, Scott, for joining us. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks a lot. My background here has changed a little bit today as I'm working from home with kids and camps and all sorts of stuff this summer. <laughs> it's the summer, right? Yeah. It's yep. part of what we're going to talk about is just summertime in general, um, timing yep. of the market and all that. So we were having a good kind of chat beforehand. I think a really good kind of just overview of, of the conversation is going to be around expectations, what to expect, you know, being summertime, you know, data that's coming out. You did a really good job kind of framing it, but why don't you just kind of dive in? I know we had inflation numbers this morning. Talk about, I think, and just, just just go with inflation and expectations regarding inflation and how it impacts the market. Yeah, so the, the two key uh, issues going on right now are inflation, which is being driven by supply and demand, and then labor shortages or the labor market. Right. So we've gotten some really good numbers in the labor market, even though they slightly disappointed market expectations. We've seen six consecutive weeks now of lower uh, employment uh, claims, initial claims. So that's really good news. Uh, again, the, the exact number may have disappointed the market's expectations, but six consecutive weeks of, of dropping claims, we haven't seen that since before the pandemic. Um, and then on top of that, we got a really good jobs report last week on Friday. Again, a little bit lower than the market, but still job growth, consistent job growth. So that's a good thing. The ADP numbers, which is more of the private sector employment, those numbers were very solid last week. So you've got a healing labor market, but what one of the concerns that the overall uh, market has is that within those jobs numbers, we're also seeing higher wages. So that's a concern when you flip over to the other issue, which is inflation. Um, if those higher wages, which are being brought about for two reasons, a, you've got employers trying to get uh, people back into the workforce and trying to get them incentivized to come back in. So they're offering higher wages or more benefits. Um, the worry is, is that that will creep in and seep into the market before the Fed could really manage inflation. So that's one of the concerns. Right. And then the other issue with inflation is just simply higher prices. You're seeing it at the gas pump. You're seeing it at the grocery store. Ironically, one of the biggest numbers that we saw in today's CPI number, uh, inflation number, was uh, used cars. Used cars made up almost a third of the higher uh, inflation numbers that we saw. And it's, it's really interesting what you've got here because of the supply-demand issue with chips. Um, you think about uh, most new cars today have computers in them, and so they can't get those chips, which means if you go to the, you know, the new car lot, you're seeing fewer and fewer inventory. That's meaning that, that used cars, actually, the prices are going up because people can you know, actually uh, find a, a slightly used car for a better deal than they could probably get a brand new car because they can't find a brand new car on the lot. So you've got these two dynamics going on of, of inflation and labor, and those two things are, are what's really kind of driving some of the concerns in the market. So you've got all these expectations that aren't quite being met. You combine that with what we talked about earlier, which is the summer doldrums, where people are going on vacation. They're not really focused on their investment portfolios. So volumes typically tend to go down during this period, and that's where we kind of are right now. Right, right. So I think, like, to your point, that expectation, let's, let's just pivot right to summer, like you just said. What are our expectations for summer? given the doldrums, where we're at in the market, and then maybe even throw in some of what we were talking about earlier, the TED spread and the VIX, to kind of give it a little bit of flavor of what to expect. 
Yeah, so, you know, you've got that old moniker, uh, sell in May and go away. The reason why that's there is, is specifically what we were just talking about. People go on vacation. There's less trading. Even the traders who are uh, at their desks aren't quite there as often. So you see these volumes go down. And then on top of that, you've got very low numbers on the VIX and the TED spread, meaning that the volatility just isn't there. But if you take a look back at the VIX, what you're seeing is lower highs, which is a good thing. That's a good trend line. Uh, but you're also seeing uh, lows on, on that side. So when we get these lows, you see it pop up. Um, we're at one of those stages where we've gone up and popped back down, which is good for the VIX. But I wouldn't be surprised if we got a, a 1% or 2% pullback in the market because lower volumes, there's not as much direction in the market, and then all of a sudden a news item comes out and that gives us a little pop in volatility. So, you know, 1% or 2% pullback is, is probably very normal at this stage, and it's typically what we see in the summertime. Right. So it sounds like a lot of what you're talking about, expectations for the short term, maybe not met, but long-term expectations looking pretty good. And right. we're in that friction period in, you know, in summer where people tend to, eh, and little, you know, little spikes of, of volatility, um, people kind of, you know, making some kind of moves because volumes are so low make a big impact. Right. Um, so that given kind of the parameter, what do you expect to see? When do you expect things to kind of, again, like I know we talked about last time, normalize to a degree. When do you expect to see really some long-term, hey, we, now it's not so much like short-term, like, you know, every week we're looking at certain numbers, but we're like, we have enough of a data set and now we can start to say, all right, let's plan for the long term, these short term friction points. When does some, when do the doldrums end and we can start to plan? I guess my question. Yeah. So probably two things. A, usually when summertime starts to end and people get back to work and more consistency, that kind of helps things. But also you've got this issue with the Fed. The, the market's kind of questioning the Fed at this point. Uh, which is kind of an interesting dynamic. If if the Fed is able to navigate this period and we see uh, more people come back to work and we see some of the supply chain issues get resolved, then I think we could expect some more normalcy, uh, especially you can see it when you go to a restaurant and there's a few open tables and they're saying there's a 15-minute wait because they don't have the labor to deal with a, a, you know, a full set of tables at, at the restaurant. So once some of those things kind of normal out, and that could be late summer, could be a little bit later, we'll see, uh, then we could start to see some normalization. And on top of that, if the Fed is correct in their assumptions that while inflation has, has spiked here a little bit, it'll start to slightly go down a little bit, that's their term behind the, the transitory inflation. Um, then, you know, again, I think we'll see some normalization. So maybe it's later on this, this summer. Um, so, you know, if, if you're a, a person who's got a, a cash influx and you're looking to put some money to the mar into the market, it's probably a good idea to kind of stage it in over the next couple of months because we could see some choppiness, some volatility. Um, doesn't mean that, that we're saying you need to sell, but if you're putting new money to work, it's probably a good idea to kind of stage it in at these levels. Right, right. So you're kind of thinking like kind of summer end when a lot of these, you know, kind of, uh, extra benefits kind of start to go away. I know some states have, have already turned them off, but we'll kind of shake out some of the band-aids that we were using for the pandemic. And then we're looking at, okay, now we're kind of post-pandemic. What does life look like? We're looking at the end of the summer, the doldrums are ending. Uh, the, we'll have a little bit better of a data set to say now we can form kind of a future look and not have it be so kind of externally influenced. 
that kind of a fair assessment? Yeah, and, and hopefully we can also look back, too, and see some of the policy decisions that kind of led to where we are today. You know, instead of shutting everything down, what that did was that caused business owners, because uh, what we did was we basically shut down, kind of slightly reopened and shut down again in the winter, fall, and then reopened again. Those kind of activities have forced business owners to manage their inventory the best they can and also manage their labor, which means they had to lay some people off. And so those those policy decisions, I hope we can look back and say, okay, that was a bad policy decision. We probably should have done more to influence individual behavior, not so much economics. What we should have done with economics is left everything open and dealt with individual behavior as a standalone, not shut everything down. Because that's what we're dealing with now. The, the supply chain issues and demand issues are, are hand in hand. People have plenty of money. There's plenty of demand, but there's not enough supply because these business owners have had to try to navigate a difficult market. Right. That's interesting. So you brought up policy, which brought up a next, another question for me. You know, there's a couple policies out there on the table, you know, things that we're going to be voting on, um, infrastructure, whatnot. What impact, I mean, what are your, and I know it's totally speculative, but I know you, you have your pulse on a lot of these things. What are your thoughts in terms of these actually getting passed? And if they get passed, what are their impacts for the market? Yeah, it, it's, it seems like we're kind of at a, a stalemate right now. I'm not a Washington, D.C. expert and probably don't want to be because <laughs> it's a mess up there. But we're kind of at a stalemate right now. You've got two or three senators all actually on the Democrat side that are kind of holding things up. And that's frustrating the current administration. So uh, the administration has kind of walked away from the table right now. So we're kind of at a stalemate. I think at some point they'll probably be forced to come back to the table and figure things out. You know, part of this is theater. That, that's typically what we see in, in D.C. Somebody walks away from the table, but they're really not. It's just kind of a what, what they want the public to perceive. Um, but what they're going to have to come to grips with is we do actually need good infrastructure. We need to fix some things. But we also can't afford the typical thing in D.C., which is fill a bill full of pork and, you know, uh, pacify certain donors that you've gotten over the years. we got to get real good infrastructure in place and fix some things. A good example is here in Memphis. You know, we're, we're still working on the, the bridge that goes across the Mississippi River. Um, so those examples are key to know that, you know, we've got some bridges that are old. We've got some roads that need fixing. There's several different infrastructure things. We can't just pile a bunch of pork into a bill. We really need to focus and get those things done. Right, right. And what impact do you think, you know, right now, obviously it's just a muted impact on the market. Um, but say they, you know, they come back to the table and they decide we're going to do an infrastructure, you know, bill. Um, what impact do you think that would have on the market? It would be huge. And probably the sectors you'd want to look at if they got a deal in place would be the industrials and the materials. Uh, those are the key sectors that are going to be affected by um, different uh, projects across the country. You know, you've got your industrials like Caterpillar, uh, Deer, all those kind of folks that are going to be involved in uh, the building and uh, the rebuilding of some of these things. And then you've got the basic materials, which are the raw materials used in a lot of the construction. So those two areas look good, not to mention the fact that basic materials is doing well right now because of inflation. Commodities are up. Uh, demand is up. So the prices for, for most of those basic materials have already gone up. So those are two sectors that really would benefit well if we got some kind of good infrastructure bill in place. Right. Yeah. So all the restocking of the inventory that you talked about before, materials is obviously getting a nice tailwind from that. You know, you know some kind of infrastructure bill would obviously push it even further ahead. So just 
Take me through a couple areas of opportunity that you see. I know we got to be a little nimble, being that we're in the doldrums. Um, but say we're putting some fresh money to work. You know, where where you, where do you see some of those opportunities right now? Yeah, so you know, if we got a good infrastructure bill in place and the Fed was able to navigate this current situation with inflation, I think that makes the dollar look a little better. Um, we, we already look better than most of the rest of the world, which is why we've seen the yield on the 10-year come down because our bond is so much more attractive than other bonds. But I think we could see a little bit of a spike in interest rates, not a huge one, but a, a continued increase on the 10-year Treasury yield because the U.S. would look better. We've come out of the pandemic. We've got more folks vaccinated than most other countries, almost every country, uh, from a percent of population standpoint. And then we would have a good infrastructure bill in place. The Fed was able to navigate this, this situation well. We would look really good. If that were to happen, I think you're still going to continue to see this, this shift from um, you know, high growth, high momentum technology names to more cyclical names. So the opportunities would, again, still be financials, which look really attractive. Probably energy still looks attractive, even though we're, we're pretty high on, on crude right now. I think we're at $72, $71 a barrel. Um, the target that Goldman Sachs has kind of set is around $80 a barrel, so there's still some upside there. And again, demand is still driving that. Um, so energy, financials look really good. As I said before, if we do get some kind of infrastructure bill uh, in place, industrials and, and uh, materials. Right. What about just pivoting away domestically? I know we talk a lot about domestic um, opportunities. Do you think there's, as the world tends to become more vaccinated, opportunity there? Or do you still think it might be a little early with, I know China just shut down whatever it was, like, you know, 25 to 30 million population town to get everyone tested? I mean, do you see the opportunities a little premature international? Or do you think you could start to dip your toe into that water, too? In certain areas, you could be premature, but in my opinion, that's a good thing. You want to get in early, um, even if there is a little bit more downside in some of those specific countries or specific regions. Uh, but getting in early is probably better. Uh, one of the fascinating things that I see going on is this whole G7 uh, issue with setting a, a, a kind of a floor for corporate taxes. Um, I don't know that that's going to get done. But it would be very fascinating if you had certain areas, especially if you're looking at emerging markets that are not really part of the G7, if, if they were to say, no, we're not going to adopt that, you could see actually some money flowing over to emerging markets. Um, because if they got some kind of corporate tax hike passed here in the U.S., these uh, global international companies would probably move some of that money overseas and emerging markets might be a key place for that. So that's going to be an interesting dynamic to see. I still think that at some point international emerging begin to outperform the U.S. Uh, just because the U.S. is at you know close to highs at this point, uh, the valuations are still a little bit a little bit high. So there's a lot of opportunities overseas. And again, you may be early, but being early is better than being late. Right. And just kind of maybe start the rotation just as these doldrums kind of go through. Take a little money off the table. Do a little rotation. Obviously. It's situation by situation based, but you know, depending on risk tolerance, it's a good, it's a good thing to look at. Yeah. Um, so last thing, let's go through the the wealth protection signal. Take me through where we're at and um, you know what it's looking like. Yeah. So we're very low on the on the wealth protection signal right now. I think we'd have to increase uh, more than two hundred percent to get to the first trigger level where we would recommend raising cash. So. Again, it's, it's, it's extremely low, which is good, but it also means that we're probably at this kind of weird level where we could see a little bit of a, 
a pop in, in, in the indicator. But the indicator is telling us if you're, if you're invested today, you ought to be fully invested right now. Um, it's, it's very interesting because we're seeing these little pockets of, of bubbles. Uh, one of the pockets is, is the, you know, the meme stocks or the meme trading, which is always interesting. Um, I, I had some clients in one stock that was affected by the meme trading. We actually were in the stock because it had a good long-term perspective and was going to benefit from the pandemic ending and the economy reopening, but it got caught up in the meme trading and eventually got everybody out because at this point, these meme trading stocks, it sounds fun and it's exciting, but you're not trading on fundamentals. One of those stocks that's gotten caught up in is AMC. I even heard an analyst say, if everybody went to the AMC theaters today and filled them up, it still wouldn't justify the, the price of the stock right now. So investors really need to be careful. You know, that's why we have the indicator is to give us those good, solid fundamentals, taking emotion off the table. What we see in these meme stocks is a lot of emotion, you know, getting caught up in the moment, but not really looking at the fundamentals. And that can end up, you know, biting you if you don't watch it. Right. On both directions. I mean, it's, yep. you know, you get caught up on the upside and it looks great. But then on the downside, I mean, someone's someone's going to lose some money. If someone's going to make some money. You got to take it off That's the table. Right. And then if you don't, you know, you take the same ride down. Yeah, we, we always say if you're going to do that, set some bars for yourself, set some some borders so that if the stock goes up a certain percent, you're going to sell a certain amount of it. Uh, there's no sense in riding it up and getting greedy and then it's stock tanks and you lose everything. So along the ride up, it's it's always a good practice to kind of sell some and take some profits and, and put them in your pocket. Right. Excellent. No, I think that's really good advice. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it's, it's fun to talk about, but that's one of those practical ways of how do you manage it? Right. You know, and it's almost like limit trades. You don't, you don't, you don't want to necessarily use those because they can pop all over the place. That's right. You can end up having a, you know, a crazy buy that you made or you know, a terrible sell that you made. So... I like the idea of you saying just like take it off the table as you see it, you know, start playing with the house's money for lack of a better That's way right. of saying it, and um, you know, you let let it let it let it work for you as opposed to the the opposite. That's right. Super. Well, Scott, I thank you for your time. Always informative, yeah. very clear, very much appreciate it. I look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks again. Sounds great. Thanks. You bet. 